welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful have been handed down for generations. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, we preserve the ag heritage and traditions we built our identity on while pursuing the American dream of multi-generation farms that innovate for the future. Listen along as we share stories of how farmers and ranchers are building legacies, both in their business and their character, for the sake of those they'll pass the reins to. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to talk with you about the financial, generational, and production challenges facing producers in the ag industry today. This podcast is brought to you by Back Pocket Social Marketing. And yes, this is Lexi here. This podcast has been a real passion project for me. All the time that goes into interviewing guests, editing, and producing the show is sponsored by my freelance marketing agency. We specialize in website design, social media advertising, content creation and management, and email marketing. If you like to take a foundational approach to your marketing and figure out exactly what's working for you and what's not, and really focus on efficiency, then you would be a great candidate to work with us. You can reach out and talk with us more at Lexi at BackPocketSocial.com. We would love to help you solve your marketing challenges. Welcome back to the Farming on Purpose podcast. I'm so glad you have found your way here. Today, I have a very important topic to cover, and it's one I've been thinking about a lot lately. It's just me today, no guest, but I'm really excited to talk about this with you guys, and I hope that you do weigh in and let me know what you think about it, because I'd really love to not make this a one-sided conversation and talk more about it with you. So the topic I've been thinking about is food accessibility. And to really get a good grasp on this term, I think we have to have a very open mind about what it means. A lot of us, um, if we have any relation to agriculture, which I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you do. A lot of us, when we think about food accessibility, we're probably a little bit more familiar with the term than the general population. Um, Just because most of us at some point have been involved in some kind of agriculture advocacy or have heard facts about food accessibility. So when we think about it, we think about it in a couple different ways, typically. We think about transportation and what and what foods can be transported, for how long, in what manner. And we think about the price of food. And we think about uh, foods that are maybe only seasonally available or maybe don't grow well in specific climates. So they have to be imported or they are you know, maybe only available during specific times of the year. But the way that um, experts think about food accessibility is actually a lot bigger than this. And I think that the way we as agriculturalists and food producers need to think about this is actually a lot bigger too. One of the first things that I think we need to take a look at here is that food is not just calories and it never has been and it never will be. And For me, someone who has never had to worry about food being in their fridge, that may sound a little bit privileged to say because without calories, you do not have the very basics of what you need for food. But I would say that any of us, no matter 
how food secure or food insecure you have been at some point in your life, your goal has never been just about calories. It's been probably at some, in some stage or level about quality. And that can mean a lot of different things to different people. It might mean that you don't want to just eat crackers for supper. You want to eat crackers and some hamburger or some chicken or something more than ramen noodles every night. It means, it could mean that you want to have a specific type of beef. It could mean that you want to have a well-rounded meal with multiple types of nutrient-dense foods on your plate. So you see pretty quickly that you don't have to have very high standards to say that food is about more than just calories. And anybody that eats on a consistent basis, which I hope is everyone, that's the goal. We don't want people to be starving, um, is concerned about their food quality. And that quality, what they care about there is a big indicator of food preference. And yes, I am going to talk about starving and food scarcity or food insecurity a little bit lightheartedly here because it's not the actual topic I'm addressing. Um, and I don't want to dive too deep into that topic right now. Uh, the topic that I want to focus on is food access, not food availability, not food insecurity, but food access. So that first thing here that we have here is that we all want to have what we consider to be a good quality of food. We don't just want calories on our plate. If we did, we'd all be, you know, drinking protein shakes for every meal. We want a quality of food. And what that quality means is different to all of us. And in a lot of ways, the second thing plays into that because that quality is heavily influenced. That quality of food that we seek is heavily influenced by everything we've ever been told about food our entire lives. It's influenced from all the different experiences we've had from food, foods we were or weren't exposed to at a young age, foods that we tried once and didn't like, foods that we ate after being out at the bars for a night and maybe had a little bit too much of and didn't feel good the next morning. Food experience here is the second point. And unfortunately, there is no shortage of people and companies and really just information in general out there trying to persuade you that the quality and preferences you should have for food are a specific thing. Maybe that is nutrient dense. Maybe it is protein dense. Maybe it is that you have lots of greens on your plate or low sugar or low fat or low carb or low saturated fat or hyper local or only raw and unfiltered or always fresh, never frozen or only consumed in an eight hour window or only ones that have no chunks of vegetables in them. There is no shortage of things that you have been told about food, probably from 
the day that you started eating and feeding yourself. Your parents were probably one of the very first influences you had with food. And then that was followed up by daycare providers or teachers. And that was followed up very quickly then by coaches or media telling you the things that you should or should not eat and when you should eat them and how much you should eat them and why you should eat them. And they give you all sorts of reasons for why you should or shouldn't eat them from your health to your body shape or size to your body capability as an athlete or as a general functioning human being to your impact on the greater economy. And that leads us into the third thing that I think plays into food accessibility. And actually, I think there's a lot more, but we're going to keep it to three for today. Um, The last one is that people are very disconnected from our food. And I say people, not consumers, not non-farmers, not non-ranchers, because I actually think it's all of us. And... For me, I had a couple very eye-opening experiences about how disconnected I am from my food and always have been disconnected from the food that I eat. And it's really a privilege in modern society that we are disconnected from our food, that we don't have to go out and kill the thing that we want to eat. We don't have to go plant the seed and nurture it and harvest it for every meal that we eat. That's a privilege. And I don't think it should be looked at as anything other than that. Um, Because honestly, not everyone wants to do that. Some people do. A lot of people think they do. And actually, when it's time to do it, and it's time to plant that seed and nurture it and harvest it and wait eight weeks before it's ready to be eat edible, and then, you know, you have not exactly what you are used to eating, that's, it's a privilege. We have a privilege in our society that food is prepared for us, it's grown and produced for us, and then it is consistently provided to us in a consistent way, and that is something we definitely are disconnected from. And it's part of what the disconnect is caused by. So the experiences that I've had in realizing how disconnected I am from my food, the very first one was thinking back on a speech that I wrote in high school FFA about organic agriculture. And I didn't grow up on a farm. Um, We had a hobby farm and my dad worked for the Natural Resource Conservation Service. Um, I lived in an area that was surrounded by production agriculture, but it was not my family's livelihood. Um, So I learned a lot about agriculture from FFA and it was my passion and I loved it. And I like read tons and did tons of research. And I did this speech about organic agriculture. And I remember exactly how the speech started out. And it was by listing some ingredients from a package of some processed, and I say processed in a general term, some processed food. And of course, the ingredients on the package are things that you would not regularly associate with food. It was like some kind of acid and something bicarbonate and, you know, things that don't sound like ingredients. And I go through the speech and I describe how agriculture practices um, in organic are different. And then at the end, my speech ends with listing the ingredients uh, on a package of food that is not processed or not considered to be, you know, as processed. Supposedly an organic food product, such as peanuts, flour, 
oats, you know, things that we recognize as ingredients. And thinking back to that speech, um, my speech was all about trying to draw out what the term organic really meant and helping consumers, people, people who eat, understand the differences in what organic was versus what it was marketed as and being a little bit more food literate. Um, But when I did that speech and I did the research for it, I remember thinking just exactly how I had no idea what I was talking about. And in a way that was kind of the point of the speech to say and show like just how disconnected we are from how food is produced that we kind of accept all of these marketing terms um, on our food as generally just something that we all refer to and everyone knows what they are, but we actually have no idea what they mean. And they actually really aren't relevant in the ways that we think they are relevant. But reading those packages for those foods and the ingredients in them is what made me realize how disconnected I am from my food. Because I read those two things and I was like, well, what does this mean? What do I do with this information? Does this actually have any relevance for me as I put it into my body? Should I be only eating things that are made with ingredients that sound like foods? Is this other item bad? I don't know. I have no information that I can trust to base this decision and further educate myself on. And honestly, I still feel the same today. And I've done probably 500 times more research since then. We have so little information about how our bodies work and respond to and process food. And we think that we have a lot, but really... All of the studies that have been done are so isolated. They're so independent of each other. We just don't understand nearly as much as we think we do about how the body works. We have some generalized principles of this equals that and this plus this makes that. And we understand it from a basic level, but we really don't understand the implications and the long-term effects of most of the things that we put in our bodies. There just hasn't been enough time and enough research done on them to know. We haven't been eating these types of things for long enough to see what it causes. And I don't say that to scare you. I say it to help everyone recognize that we actually are all very disconnected from the food that we eat. Unless you are, you know, making close to 100% of what you eat. And even that is hard to do um, because you have to be getting inputs from somewhere. Very few people are able to achieve 100% um, self-reliance that, you know, they're saving their seeds. They're making everything from scratch. Okay. So that's a little bit of a rabbit hole, just going down that line of thinking and thinking about how There's a huge disconnect from the food even that is produced on farms and that shows up in the grocery store for the majority of the grocery store. It's not true of everything. You know, your fresh foods that are whole and not chopped or processed or combined in any way, you know, those are going to be pretty much the same as if you'd picked them out of the field or harvested them yourself. But for most of us, that does not make up a huge percentage of our diets. 
And yes, I did say most of us, because even if we are eating primarily meats and fruits and vegetables, there are also meals where we are definitely not doing that. Um, and we can strive for other ways. We can do that. But when we're on the go, when we have to stop and eat at gas stations, when we have to eat at restaurants, it's just not what's happening. It's not realistic for most of us at this point in time to assume that we can be completely independent of the food system and what it has evolved to be. And it's crazy how fast it has evolved into what it is. You know, the first grocery store opened what, a little over a hundred years ago? That's not very long. And that kind of leads me into the second realization I had of how disconnected I am from food. And this happened during COVID, which I think was a big eye-opener for a lot of us of just exactly how fragile our food system is. And again, I say this not out of, I want you to be scared about our food system, it's more so out of, I want you to be realistic. So what happened during COVID is we saw supply chain issues, which I say in air quotes, because in some cases this was true and in some cases it was not, but we won't get into that today. A lot of what we saw was transportation issues um, or manufacturing and processing issues. So what what we saw in result was a lot of vacancy on the shelf. There was not a lot of normal products that we would expect to be there, there. And some of that was due to panic buying of people buying way more than they normally did. So then, you know, they, the, the normal ordering frequency that grocery stores had in place just wasn't keeping up with the demand that people were having. And when I went to the grocery store, you know, we buy a lot of things in bulk. Um, we live half an hour away. I don't drive into town very often. Mainly when I go to town, it is for groceries. And I try to limit my trips to the store just to save on gas and how many times I have to go to the grocery store. But so we, we were out of a lot of things. I remember that um, when we went to the grocery store, I had quite a list of things I needed to get. And, you know, it was kind of weird. Everybody was wearing masks and gloves and nobody knew if it was safe to touch anything. And you went in and you were limited on what hours you could go in the store. Um, and everyone was like buying more than what they normally did. And I kind of felt like people were looking at me funny when I bought my normal amount of things is just I spread my grocery trips, trips out more. And I was like, I promise I'm not like panic buying or taking more than I need. I just, this is how much I normally buy. Um, but it was when I started seeing that there was just not the things on the shelves that I needed to use in my recipes that I had to cook or the things that we normally ate weren't there. And I have picky eaters in my family. So substituting some of these things out was kind of a big deal. Like it's not actually a big deal because obviously we still had food on the table and there were other options. There were backups. There were things we could swap out. There were different brands in a lot of cases. In some cases there weren't. In some cases, everything of that item was gone. Um, but there were other options, you know, we could do substitutes, but it was kind of eye-opening because I realized I live on a farm. We are part of the food supply chain. We produce cow-calf. We take beef to the locker personally, and we sell calves at the sale barn. So we are part of the food supply chain. And yet, 
I cannot provide food for my family to eat if I was not having able to have access to this grocery store. If this grocery store was not here now, I would not be able to sufficiently feed my family. And I remember thinking that and feeling so silly for never having realized that before, because I kind of, you know, carried a little chip on my shoulder of, well, we're in agriculture. We feed the world. We are part of the producers. We're able to, you know, be self-reliant. You know, those things that kind of come with a sense of pride of being in agriculture, of we know more about our food than most people do. And yet... Here I was in the same exact boat as everyone else who doesn't produce any of their food in this situation. And that's not 100% true because I did have a freezer full of beef and pork at home. But my family's not going to want to eat beef and pork for every meal. This goes back to that first point of quality of food. That doesn't sound like quality of food for us. Yes, it would feed my family. Yes, it would keep us from starving. But that does not make a meal. We don't want to eat just all meat for every meal. And when I realized this, I felt almost a little bit duped. I was like, you know, I've been involved in agriculture and I've been um, part of like agriculture advocacy programs that talk about a safe, accessible, you know, food supply that it's abundant. And now... I don't feel like it's there. And of course, that is not true. We do have an abundant food supply. Our food supply is safe. But in this scenario, it was not accessible. Even though those things were there, I realized that you remove even just a little piece of the puzzle and all of a sudden we don't have something that works. And to be fair, you could probably say that for a lot of things in life. You know, we have a system and we rely heavily on it because it works in a certain set of scenarios. And when the scenario change, it doesn't work anymore. So we change the system. But when we're talking about an entire nation's ability to access food for themselves, for their families, to feed the nation, it's a little bit more concerning, I think, anyway. Um, Because, you know, when people get hungry, situations change pretty fast. And I will always believe that. Um, I think there's a lot of folks out there who would like to think that they are not um, someone who would fight for food or, you know, would share resources that are available. But I think that situation also changes pretty quickly when it's your kid who doesn't have food on their table. So this is when I kind of started to think that a safe, abundant, accessible food supply is not just about what farmers and ranchers are doing to produce food ingredients, because what they are doing is incredibly efficient, efficient, You know, honestly, at this point, it doesn't matter what type of farmer you are. I don't care if you're organic or if you're regenerative or, you know, you farm 5,000 acres and you have a huge planter. Like, it doesn't matter. It's incredibly efficient at this stage in the game. If you want to look back a very short amount of time, let's even just go 100 years back like we did with the grocery store. It's so much more efficient. So we're, we're talking about very efficient food production. We're talking about safe food production. We're talking about abundant food. But that's not the only important part of the food supply chain. It is the beginning, and it is so not the end. 
those other parts that come after it are just as important. Maybe, I don't want to say more, more important because without the food itself, you have nothing to transport, package, process, market to even do anything with, but it is just as important. And I think that when a lot of us step into this role of feeding more than just ourselves. Um, and I don't want to speak for everyone because everyone cares about food and, you know, we all, all care about food, um, in different ways and at different levels at different points in our lives. But for me, when I got married, when I had kids, when I started putting food on the table for more than just myself, because honestly, I'm a pretty not picky person. I'd eat the same meal every day for years and years and years and not care. Um, but when I started being the person in charge of what we eat to, you know, fuel our bodies, to snack on when we're bored, to grab when we're going out the door in a rush, um, to enjoy when we have time together, I realized there was a gap. There was a gap between the production of our food ingredients and what actually got put on our tables. There's some steps in there that we don't talk a whole lot about. We say, in fact, we kind of even make fun of it. We say, oh, it's Franken food or it's so processed, it's garbage or, you know, just really aggressive statements like that. And I don't like to talk about food that way because I don't think it's true. And for some people, those are the only options available to them. So please don't tell them that they're eating garbage when that's all that they have to buy at their store. Um, we were told all these different things and we were misled honestly, about our food in a lot of big ways that have nothing to do with how the food is produced. Um, we were told by diet culture that, you know, it's overwhelming to understand your food. So just look at salt, just look at sugar, fat. Um, those are the only things that matter. Ignore the rest. We were told by others that, you know, to really eat good, healthy food, you have to wear a linen apron and only eat organic produce. Um, we're told by others that to learn to cook and prepare wholesome meals, you need to be rich. You have to have a $20,000 stove. Um, you have to have people to go source your ingredients locally. And every food product or ingredient that you have has to have a story. Somewhere along the lines, the food that farmers were growing became inaccessible because we weren't allowed to eat it unless it had been inspected, unless it had been regulated and packaged in cellophane. And I know that sounds a little bit dramatic, but hey, I'm a little bit dramatic and I'm not afraid to say it. So really, I believe that a safe and accessible food supply isn't just about what farmers and ranchers are doing to produce your food ingredients. It's about learning what you need to learn to be able to prepare food that you can get directly in a whole food source as an ingredient. Um, it's about learning what it means on the packages of your food and not being scared of the different terms that are used. It's about figuring out what fits in your life um, and what empowers you to have the amount, the type, the quality, and the style of food that you like and that your family likes. A lot of times food is the very last thought that we have when we're hungry. <laughs> we don't plan for it or we rely on one person in our family to entirely plan for it. And when they get 
overwhelmed or tired or exhausted of planning the meals, then no one plans it. And we just eat whatever is in the fridge or easiest to buy on the nearest street. Um, or sometimes in that case, we don't eat at all. So this is a really big conversation, I think. Um, food access, again, is not just about food production. It's about what food is available in your area at a specific time. It's about how much it costs. It's about what you know about that food and how comfortable you are making the decision to buy it. It's about what you know about that food and how comfortable you are preparing it. And it's about figuring out ways that you can have access to food when your regular systems fail. Okay, so what do we do with all of this thought process? Um, for one, I don't know. I'm still thinking about it all the time. I really care a lot about this issue and it comes up for me at least 25 times a day. Um, so really, I would love to hear what you think about it and how it impacts you personally as, uh, you know, someone who prepares food, who buys food, who plans food. Um, but what I think, what I have done so far and that I would suggest you do if you want to be more connected to your food and you want to have more awareness and accessibility to your food is one, to think about what foods your family or you eat a lot of. And then think about where you get them from and the process that it takes for that food to get from the very beginning all the way to where you buy it. And just thinking through that information will help you think about if that food is something you want to continue to eat, one. And two, if it's something that you are going to have access to if something changes or to start thinking about ways you might have access to it if something changes. The second thing that I would encourage you to do is to take a little bit, just a little tiny bit of food production and preparation into your own hands. And I know that this can feel very overwhelming. Um, it can feel overwhelming in multiple different ways. The first one is like, where do I start? What do I do? I don't have space. I don't have time. Um, I already have 500 thing, other things to think about. How do I add in another element of food production and preparation into my daily life. Okay. So that's overwhelming. Then the other piece of this that is overwhelming is, okay, I did one. Now I want to do more. And I feel like I have to do all of the things all the time starting right now. And one that's expensive and two, again, I don't have time and that takes a lot of energy. So this is something that I'm going to be spending mental energy on is breaking down some systems and processes about how we can reduce the amount of overwhelm that we experience when we think about producing and preparing our food um, and how you can have the ability to just have a little bit better food access in this kind of line of thinking to your food. Um, and this is not something to do necessarily out of fear. I mean, you, you can do it because of that, because I think that is a fair fear to have. We've seen in the past that it can happen, but I don't think you should necessarily do it out of fear. It can also be done because food is important. We eat it three times a day and it has a huge impact on our lives. So getting closer to your food and better understanding your food decisions is always going to be a good choice. It's always going to pay off and make you feel like a better person. So there's a lot of reasons to care about your personal food accessibility.
And you know, you know why you care so much about what you eat, by the way. It's because deep down your instincts tell you it matters. Uh, think about how much content is out there on the internet about food. It is endless. We can talk about it from all kinds of different perspectives, production, processing, research, education, nutrition, recipes, diets, um, meal planning methods. It is literally endless. And the reason for that is because one, it affects all of us. Everybody eats. And two, it's because it matters. It really does matter. And our instincts tell us that all the time. That's why we care about it. People have been eating since the dawn of time, since Adam and Eve, and which, by the way, even Adam and Eve questioned their food choices. So don't feel alone in the fact that we question ours now. It's been a question from the very beginning of time of what is okay and what is not okay to eat and put in our bodies and what things are good or better than others. So what I'm looking to do in this podcast episode is just create a little bit more conversation about how we can empower ourselves around our food choices. And again, like I said, that includes a lot of different steps because you can start from a whole bunch of different points. You can start at the very beginning with a seed. You can start at the very beginning with raising meat, birds or pork or cattle or whatever you want to start with. And you can take it all the way down to when you pull it off of the stove. So this has so many implications to our daily life. It has so many implications into how food is produced and how it is consumed. And so that's what I want to do. I just want to talk a little bit more about the choices that we have and the ways that we can educate ourselves around food to make better, more informed choices. Hey, it's Lexi here, and I'm interrupting the show to tell you about a new option we have for marketing support for you. I've met so many people the past six months who are looking for DIY marketing support, and while I primarily offer marketing packages and website design in my marketing business, I'm excited to have something just for you DIYers too. So I know you need answers quickly to help you overcome tech challenges and get feedback on your marketing content when you have a spare minute to work on it. And you want to keep growing and learning how to make your marketing work in a way that makes sense for you. Here's what I've got for you. First, you can sign up for a free marketing toolkit, which includes social media post templates, email marketing outlines, video ideas, and a content planner and tracker. And to get tutorials and answers to those pressing questions, sign up for our weekly marketing tutorials for just $10 a month, where we tackle your most frustrating challenges together. Or sign up for the marketing support line, where you get direct access via text message to ask all of your tech support and marketing advice questions. It's like having a marketing and tech support person in your back pocket. We solve website issues, social media challenges, and just give feedback on the content you're creating. You can find those options at LexiWrightConsulting.com slash social under marketing support. So I hope you'll join the discussion. I'm going to be talking about this a lot on TikTok and Instagram in the coming weeks. Um, and this is probably not going to be like a huge theme on the podcast. So don't get scared. I know when I get a little bit fired up about things, people are like, oh my gosh, is this all she's going to talk about now? No, we are still going to talk about production agriculture and learning new skills and passing on generational farms. Um, 
But this is something I care a lot about, and I think that it plays into all of those things. So it is going to be something we bring up from time to time um, and talk about more. So um, thank you so much for being here today. Please, please reach out and continue to the conversation. I look forward so much to hearing your thoughts on this topic and what experiences you have had. Do you know someone building their ag legacy or with stories of yesteryear on the farm that need to be shared? Please let us know or help them apply to be a guest on the show at farmingonpurpose.com guest. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the show on Apple Podcasts or give us a share on social media. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, at, at Farming on Purpose on all social media. And let us know what topics you want to hear more about.